spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 160th annual Subliminal Reception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory. Bullshit, my name is Cody and my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Uh, not doing too bad. Um, can can we kick off the show with a little uh, message from Supplemental Deception, Phil? Yeah, let's hit it. Okay, I want to tell someone uh, a big fuck you, and I want to say that to Mr. Clarence Thomas, okay? Uh, are you familiar <laughs> with this degenerate? Yeah, he's the uh, Supreme Court justice. Yeah, apparently. yeah, he's trying to get <laughs> he's trying to get rid of fucking oh my god everybody's rights. I don't know what's wrong with this man, but uh, they should have gotten rid of you with the Anita Hill thing, Mister Clarence Thomas. So fuck you and fuck the six others. Anyway, Phil, how has your week been? <laughs> my week's been uh, it's been pretty good. Yeah, I've been looking at a lot of Instagram lately, and it's pretty crazy how the idea of you know, ending the Supreme Court has really softened lately. You know, you wouldn't really like six months ago, you wouldn't have thought that would happen. But now everyone just kind of like, yeah, we can probably get rid of it. Probably don't need it anymore. <laughs> I just think maybe term limits, you know, maybe that might be a good thing. You don't need them to wait till they turn into the fucking crypt keeper before they're like, hey, maybe we should put somebody else in there. Yeah, the problem is when they came up with this idea for, you know, having these Supreme Court justices serve for life, humans didn't really live, you know, like that long. They weren't making it into their 90s or (laughs) late 80s, 90s. They might become a Supreme Court justice at like 50 something and die at like, you know, 70. And that was considered like, yeah, you made it pretty long way. So, well, I know they probably have like an infinite amount of dick cheney hearts to keep him up there too like that's, oh yeah you know he's just keeping making sure they're those old codgers are just they keep going on there here's the thing about the world it's just or at least america you know most of the world probably too it's all just kind of spinning on the toilet it has been for a while but you know we're picking up speed lately like worse than two years ago during covid i thought that was bad but now you really just there's a there's really just a feeling of dread towards the future like I've never seen before. Even worse like maybe 2008 during the the beginning of like the housing crisis and everything like that. You know what? That was pretty fucking bad, but this is just it's crazy. It feels like 1970 when just, you know, gas everything's just inflation is going crazy. So, you know what though, Phil, let me let me put your mind at ease because I received a letter from my realtor, and he informed me that he does not believe <laughs> the housing crash is going to happen like it did in 2008, according to his data. So, yeah, I, I we should him. we should get that. I should probably email that bald guy from that money guy I, who says weird shit. I don't remember his name is, and just Kramer. Kramer said his name. I just warned, but like, don't worry. I got a letter. Just. 
get out of here, okay? Just put the letter up on the screen. Nothing's going to happen, my man. You realize that your realtor was writing that letter while putting a fucking noose up above his ceiling fan, <laughs> pretty much. Drowning I mean... in a bottle of fucking brandy. <laughs> He's going out like a hero, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, folks. Don't worry. The inevitable's not going to happen. <laughs> the sun will not rise tomorrow. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Uh, okay, I don't mean to talk shit about him. I actually really like my realtor. It was just like, it's it's just like one of those things I feel like it's better left unsaid sometimes, you know? Like, let's not yeah. draw your attention to that idea. Or let's, you know what I'm, I, I don't know. It just is like, let's just pretend like it could happen, but let's not just point fingers at me and be like, okay, yes, that meteor is headed here. But I have yeah. a feeling it's not gonna hit us, okay? Let's just just pretend like the meteor's not coming right now, okay? Let's just let's just do that. Let's all avoid that dog shit on the walking path. Just no yeah. one point at it. We don't need anyone pointing at it, saying there's dog shit right there. We'll all just avoid walking or you know, we'll walk around it. We'll do the American thing and track down the person who didn't pick up their dog shit and beat the shit out of them. Yeah. Well, That's I mean, it's just like with the shopping cart people. People who leave their shopping carts yeah. in uh, grocery store parking lots are the fucking degenerates who they need to go out <laughs> first. I'd, honestly, we could stand to lose a few million people and, and maybe it's the shopping cart folk. <laughs> the shopping cart people, the shopping mm -hmm. cart thieves. Uh, I knew an individual who was one of these people and it, I don't know if you want to let him off the hook, but he claimed he would get too drunk to put the pushy shopping cart back home or he took it home when he was drunk and he never <laughs> returned it i'm not talking about people that's better i actually appreciate that <laughs> because he wasn't just throwing it in the middle of one of the lanes of the parking lot he didn't just kind of leave it there you know mm -hmm. that's what these that's what no these people are the ones who basically take their shopping carts you know empty all their shit into the back of their trunk push it like three feet to the left and then drive away behind other people's cars, in the way of cars trying to make it down the lanes of parking lots. I'm talking about those people. Gotcha. Okay. Scumbags. One more quick question. I really need to know the answer. You are a ranch aficionado. I am well aware of that. Yes. Um, I was on this YouTube channel I was watching. They said that Wing Stop Ranch is better than any ranch you can get anywhere else. I don't know if you've had Wing Stop Ranch before. No, I have not. Okay, so that should be on your bucket list to try Wingstop Ranch. Apparently, it's better than any other ranch in the world. Oh, we'll have to see. I think there is a Wingstop not too far from my house. So okay, I, I do. I actually do like the Hidden Valley Buttermilk Ranch. That's pretty okay. good. That's good for dipping. Well, you know what? Put it up against the the Wingstop one. And uh, if anybody, any of our fans have tried Wingstop Ranch, please contact us some way, and I need to know if it's really that good or not. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's one of those things, I hate it when you go to a restaurant and they give you ranch to dip your french fries or whatever in, but it's not dipping ranch, it's salad ranch. That's that's the worst kind to dip okay. like your food in. So is the difference in the viscosity of the ranch? That and the, it's a little bit more like, it has a little bit more dill in it. You know what I mean? Okay. The All salad right. ranch kind of tastes a little bit more bitter, possibly. And that may you know what? You should do an episode. 
What are they so, really uh, serving us, okay? What are they doing to the ranch to dilute it, to make it not as good? Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you own a restaurant out there and you're going to have ranch for dipping, just buy the buttermilk, the thicker shit. There you it's, go. It's a lot better. Yeah. There you go. PSA for you. <laughs> All right. You ready? Yeah, let's hit it. All right. On this week's episode, we're going to be covering an individual who claims to have had some of the wildest experiences involving extraterrestrials during the time period when, as no surprise, UFOs were one of the hottest items in America and the world moreover. As proof of his truthfulness to his skeptics, he also had a multitude of pictures of the supposed alien crafts. Now, the real question we're going to try to answer today is, is this man truthful or is he nothing more than a charlatan? The man I am alluding to goes by the name of George Adamski, Adamski, something like that. Um, have you ever heard of this guy, Phil? No, I have not. Okay. He, you know what? He kind of, as we're going to find out, he, the way I wanted to put it, he mixes three of my favorite subjects that we can cover on this podcast. We got UFOs, we got a, a con man, possibly, and we got a fringe cult leader. So uh, he he's quite a character. Nice. There's quite a few people uh, rocking History Channel shows right now who kind of fall into those little categories. <laughs> fringe cult leader, ufologist, or con man? Charlatan. Charlatan. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Wait, especially, you... especially the charlatan areas. Yeah. <laughs> Well, how many people on Ancient Aliens percent-wise do you think were charlatans? Ooh, um, the okay, so the guy who wrote Chariot of the Gods, pretty much the first ancient alien astronaut theorist, whatever you want to call themselves. Yeah. I think he was the biggest charlatan of them all. He looks, honestly, he does, if you look at him, he looks like if you were to take a character from like Bob the Builder and put him in real life, have the same yeah. body shape. Exactly. Just yep, that rounded. Yeah. <laughs> All the corners are rounded. Definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, George Adamski was born on April 17th, 1891 in Bromberg, which was at the time located in the Kingdom of Prussia in the German Empire. Now, I, they kept saying that, was it the Kingdom of Prussia and then the German Empire was like, within that? Do you know? So, it, um kind of they were kind of like states inside of the bigger whole so kind of germany was like an infant nation at that time yeah uh, prussia was kind of a part of it but yeah they were all still kind of separated but kind of becoming one thing okay uh, they actually had a kaiser at the time uh this was obviously before world war 1 before the nazis took over and everything like that but yeah, it was um, Prussia. Really, if you're anyone in the United States military knows, a lot of our military tradition actually came from the Kingdom of Prussia. Really? Yes. Interesting. I didn't know that. Well, the area that he's born would be what is now modern day Poland. So he's okay. considered to be a Polish immigrant, as we're about to find out here. Now, his parents were named Josef Adamski and his mom was Franciska Adamski. Uh, he also had five other siblings. Now, when George was about two years old, his family would immigrate to the United States 
and would come to settle in New York City. When George reached the age of 22 in 1913, he would become an enlisted man. Then he would join the 13th U.S. Cavalry Regiment and fought at the Mexico border during the Pancho Villa Expedition. Now, I've kind of heard of this. I don't know a lot about it. It was like one guy, right? Well, no, it was it was a lot more than one guy. It was basically a whole uh, insurrection against okay. the Mexican government. Um, Pancho Villa's men were raiding the United States along the border, um, yeah. almost kind of like in an effort to drag the United States in, possibly. But yeah, they were you know they were running from the Mexican army. They were raiding border towns. They knew the Mexican army wouldn't follow them into the into the United States. Um, one one of the things that this war became really big for was kind of like logistically how they fought it. So they fought it using the train lines, which was really smart because it kept them mobile. Also, the United States would fight Pancho Villa's men using aircraft. It was one of the first time that aircraft would become like really used in kind of military engagements. If you could call it, you know, fighting Pancho Villa's men you know, army engagements, it was more kind of like fighting a gang more than a a military for the United States. I guess I should have reworded what I said when I said one guy, not like one guy fighting there. He's not a lone gunman. No, no, no. no. But it was like, it wasn't the country of Mexico. It was this guy's little, him and his, I don't know, posse or whatever you said, like gang, basically. Well, it was an army. So it, it was Basically, one his men were up north. It was one half of a revolution that was kind of happening all over the country. So it, the I, Mexican the Mexican government really was trying to put it down and have it not be a full scale like revolution. It's funny because I had first heard of this way back when on Bumblebutt uh, podcast when we were doing that like one of the very very first episodes, and I'm like they don't really talk about this that often like. A lot of kids probably don't know that this even happened. No, there have been a few movies made about it. Um, There's one really good one that I watched back when I was in college. Um, It's a Spanish, you know, the it's in all Spanish. So unless you know Spanish kind of well, I guess we did have, you know, the the transcripts on the bottom. But yeah, it was a pretty good movie. Um, I would say no, not a lot of people know about it. kind of this whole time period in, you, you know, Mexican-American relationship. So if you, if he was fighting at the Mexican border, would you assume he's like shooting at people probably like killing, yeah. like straight up fighting, fighting? Yeah. I mean, okay. they had engagements where they fought against each other. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was mostly the Americans kind of like chasing them around a little bit. It wasn't like a full fledged, you know, war. It, it was, you know, minor little kind of skirmishes is kind of how I remember it happening. Okay. So. Yeah, I was just curious because when you'll see once we get into like more of George's life, <laughs> you'll be like, I can't believe this guy actually fought anywhere <laughs> at any time. Oh. You also have to kind of remember, too, that there was always a fear of other countries using Mexico kind of as a landing dock for a invasion of the United States. Right. So. That was yeah, a big they, was always, they always kind of had a lot of bases around that area. So World War is it World War One? There was supposedly Germans there, or was that World War Two? Pretty much World War One. I. I think there was maybe a little leftover fear during Two, 
But yeah, there was a fear during World War One that the the Germans would invade through Mexico. Yeah, kind I, of a conspiracy theory. Yeah, I, I kind of remember that. But uh, yeah, also also a little bit in World War Two, but I'm pretty sure it was much more World War One. Yeah, it's what I thought. Anyway, here now during 1917, George would go on to mar- marry a woman by the name of Mary Shimbersky. Oh, yeah. You know, Mary Shimbersky, she makes the best Polish sausage in town, (laughs) don't you know? She's a sturdy old girl. Uh, Okay. Have you ever had pierogies before? Yes, I have. Okay. I've never had the homemade ones, but they're pretty fucking good. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Polish food's fucking nothing to... Yeah. Nothing to scoff at. It's it's pretty fucking good. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, George and Mary... They would remain married all the way up until her death in 1954. So this was definitely, as far as we can tell, the love of his life. Uh, The couple would never have any children, though, as far as we know. After his marriage to Mary and military service was over, it seemed George was really struggling to find a job that was just calling to him. He had several jobs over the following years, which included maintenance man at Yellowstone National Park. He worked at a flour mill in Oregon and worked at a concrete factory in California. Now, you had to choose one of those, Phil. Which one are you picking? Ooh, maintenance man at Yellowstone. Definitely. That seems like a really good, just a chill job. I would like that. I bet nowadays they just ride around on fucking the side besides and go like, you know, keep up little, uh, you know, pick up shit every now and again, probably take out a lot of trash put out a lot of fires, you know, harass fucking teenagers. I bet it's a lot of fun. Probably got to watch out. <laughs> is Yellowstone where fucking Yogi Bear was? Or is that Jellystone? <laughs> I, I can't no remember. <laughs> you remember him, right? He'd always like do armed, yeah. armed robbery and like steal their food and shit. Picnic baskets. Yeah, yeah, I remember. He had his little, his little son or something that he wasn't claiming was his that would always help him out. Yogi. Yeah. Yogi, I would say working at a concrete factory in the what 1920s. I I don't think I would want to do have that job. That sounds like a pretty dangerous fucking job. You might as well just snort lines of fucking asbestos at that point. Like, oh, definitely. And I can say this because General Mills, uh, in Minneapolis here, has destroyed the Min- Mississippi River that runs through there. <laughs> From pollution yes. from fucking how many years ago. So I got to imagine a flour mill quite toxic. Um, so, Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe honestly, these jobs warped his mind a little bit and takes him down the path he's about to go. I don't know. Especially that General Mills factory was probably polluting the river when they kind of gave a fuck. A yeah. flour mill in 1920s gave no fucks. No. At no, all. No, Nothing. Absolutely not. Now, in, 19, in the 1920s, George started to get very interested in esoteric occultist religion theosophy and neo-theosophy, uh, which were religious practices based on Helena Blavatsky, uh, kind, who kind of created the overarching thing of occultism. Um, if you ever listen to the last podcast on the left, they did a big episode about her. Um, it's kind of also what Aleister Crowley got into. Yep. So it's just kind of that very nerdy shit, to be honest with you. Uh, but she's uh, she's the one who traveled around the world, right? Yeah. 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 And she was, 
I think her books are like almost indecipherable uh, from like what she was writing in there. But obviously people have tried and clearly, clearly the Nazis really liked her work as well as we as we know now. Oh, yeah, that's a pretty big part of the episode. And I'm pretty sure that the Nazis, any kind of like step up or legitimacy behind what they, you know, their beliefs, they were kind of kind of try to adopt it. So right, right. Now, back to George here. By the 1930s, George must have taken what he had studied over the last decade and decided he was going to go ahead and try his hand at being a cult leader. Why not? George, in 1934, eventually would come to found, quote, the Royal Order of Tibet in Laguna Beach, California. Great place for it. (laughs) The title he had given himself within his religion would be he would be referred to as a quote philosopher. He he called this place where he taught said religion the temple of scientific philosophy. Uh, he would later tell a reporter who was interviewing him about the royal order of Tibet. He grew up living in ancient monasteries as a child. He said quote I learned great truths up there on the roof of the world. Okay so. <laughs> He, yeah, he, uh, go ahead. I'm pretty sure in the boroughs of New York, there are just a shit ton of ancient monasteries. Uh, this is the best part about 1934. You could make up whatever the fuck you want and people just believe you. Oh, yeah. Just go ahead and show her your ID. The part where you fucking just scratched out your old name and put your new name. No, no, that's my name now. Right there. You see that? You see what country I'm from? No, that's not New York. I scratched that out. It's fucking Tibet now. That's where I'm at. You're like, you are the whitest man from Tibet I have ever seen in my life, George. I don't know what What? happened to you up there. Why are you wearing khakis underneath (laughs) your fucking robes? That's weird. Why are you doing this? Yeah, he, he literally said like, he wanted to open the first Tibetan temple in the, uh, in the United States. That was his goal. Okay. So yeah, he's, he's quite a character already. Now we're starting to kick off. Maybe the concrete's eroded his brain a little bit here. It only gets crazier from here. Now, with George's new religious sect, uh, he was also allowed to apply for a government license to start producing wine for religious purposes, which might not seem like a big deal, but it was during Prohibition times. George was later quoted as saying, I made enough wine for all of Southern California. I was making a fortune. When Prohibition was finally over, George found his wine business was taking a big hit uh, financially, probably because I would assume you could get much better alcohol from other sources. I can't imagine um, white Tibetan wine was very good. How, what do you think, Phil? Probably made out of fucking sunflower or (laughs) dandelions or some shit like that. Yeah, I don't. I do know that once Prohibition ended, actually, a lot of the like the bootleg booze and wine and all of that really did take a hit because, you know, once the once the brewers and shit opened back up, basically, you could just get whatever you wanted. And I think alcohol kind of flooded in from across the border of like Canada. So. So here, here's what I, the first part of George I can't f- figure out is what, did he want to start his own religion or did he just want to do it to make money off of wine? I can't figure that part out. I bet he 
So from what it kind of seems like, he's like a swindler at heart. Oh, yeah. A charlatan. So I'm guessing that he wanted the power from the religion, but just like all religious leaders, once they get a little taste of that fucking money, they just want more and more. Their pockets, you know, they need to get deeper and deeper. So <laughs> I I think it's a mixture of both with him. Um, like I said, he always wants the spotlight on him, as we'll find out. So I think it's a big bit of both. But uh, by 1936, it appears that George's royal order of Tibet must have fallen apart somehow. And he was now the leader for a new religious group he called Universal Progressive Christianity, which must have fallen apart again by the 1940s because George, his wife, and, quote, close friends, which might have or probably was just leftover religious followers, decided they were going to move to a ranch located near Palomar Mountain in California. So they, he dabbled about 10 years, maybe a little less than that, in cults. He said he's had enough, and now he's moving to the mountain range. This was kind of, it wasn't the high time for communes, because that would come in like maybe the 50s and 60s. Yeah. But this is kind of when communes as we know them kind of started, is like during this time. So I wouldn't doubt it if he tried to like start like a, maybe a commune out there, you know, out in the mountains. But yeah, it's it's pretty much any of these charlatans who dabble in religion. Once one of their old religion falls apart, they just take the good wood, you know, from the structure and they slap a new coat of paint on it and, you know, make it something else. He's got it the universal progressive Christianity. <laughs> it sounds good. You know, maybe he can make a couple of bucks off of it. Here's the thing. So he goes from studying occultism to Eastern religions, and yep. then he's like, okay, I'll do Christianity. It's just like he's just trying everything. Yeah, he's probably just following the money. Yeah. He went from the most obscure, weirdest shit he could find to something that's still pretty obscure and, you know, but, you know, maybe a little bit more accepted than occultism, which is seen as like Satan. At yeah, the time. especially at it's that still time. Today. Yeah, especially at that time, but still today seen as Satan. And then he goes to just forming a new Christian church. You know what's interesting about George? If he would have made it until 1950 and started these religions, because right, there's like a weird thing that happens right after big world events, like a war, like World War II, obviously. When people yep. come back, for some reason, they're like really prone to joining religions. So if he would have made it till then, one of his religions probably would have caught on. It might even still be here today. I don't know, but it's like right in that pocket. That's why there's so many of them in the 50s, 60s, 70s. It's just like after World War II, there's a lot of them. After Vietnam, a lot of them popped up. Oh, yeah. I mean, after the CIA, you know, made it through. If they, if the CIA would have gotten a hold and put them on some of the drug regiments that they had put other cult leaders on, then he definitely could have gotten, you know, as much fucking and as much drugs as he could have possibly wanted <laughs> if he would have made it into the 50s and 60s. Well, as far as we know, as far as the cult leader goes, he's been monogamous to his wife. Okay. Allegedly, gotcha. supposedly, allegedly. So he's not in it for the sex. He's just as far as kind of like kind of like the Apple Whites. Just yeah. You know, yeah. Sex I don't... is dirty. <laughs> Give me your money. Yeah. <laughs> He actually does is with the with the UFOs coming in, you know, Heaven's Gate, little similarities, I guess. Yeah. 
Eventually, on the 20 acre of acres of lands that they would go to purchase, they would build a new house, a campground called Palomar Gardens, and a little diner called Palomar Gardens Cafe. Now, those who would come to his campground and diner would sometimes be lucky enough to receive a lecture from George about Eastern philosophy or Eastern religions. Eventually, George would build a little observatory with a six-inch telescope. Now, the entire reason he even did this was to give people the impression that he was actually an astronomer from the Palomar Observatory, which was located at the top of Palomar Mountain. Now, not only was he claiming to be an astronomer, he claimed to have all these different academic degrees and all these different accolades. People would actually start to refer to him as Professor Adamski. Um, and they wouldn't find out so much later. He actually, as high as his ed- education actually went, was the third grade, Phil. Um, pretty hard For to real. get professor status from the third grade, I would imagine, even in the 1910s. Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's actually a lot to unpack here. You're talking. Um, you know, people coming to eat at his diner. I'm sure they really felt lucky when all of a sudden old George just kind of popped up on one of the tables <laughs> and started spouting <laughs> shit out about Eastern philosophy yeah. and religion. Definitely. Also, it kind of goes into um, before we were talking about he wanted to be called philosopher, like during his early occult religion days. Right now, he wants to be called professor. He does this by buying a six inch telescope and claiming or letting people think that he is with the observatory so it's just you know i'm sure if you met him he probably tries to sound like those people who try to sound really really intelligent basically trying to make you think that they are like this very you know very learned person i imagine he kind of sounds like one of those people you know yeah absolutely well it's like okay first off I don't know how much you know about telescopes. I don't know shit. I would assume a six inch is referring to maybe the circumference of the lens. Um, I believe it's diameter, like how wide. Okay. Uh, how wide, how much light it lets in, how wide the opening is. Or it could ha- actually, wait, it could have to do with the mirror at the bottom. Either, I'm not exactly sure. Either way, it sounds small, but he does take some videos where he sees from some pretty good distances. So... It must have some power to it, but uh, at, at the time, I would imagine that a six-inch telescope would be quite expensive just for a normal person to have. So yeah, he clearly had to. Obviously, land was cheaper back then, but uh, to build all this shit, he had to have made a pretty, pretty penny from his religions and the alcohol or the wine sales to build all of this shit here. Um, but but yeah, it's just such a thing to move I don't know it'd be like if you had a house right next to a university and you convince yep. everybody that you're like a teacher there like I guess they would believe you because you live so close but also you probably aren't well nowadays it's so easy easy to just kind of check that shit out you know oh I'm a professor at ASU oh really what do you teach oh I teach blah 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 okay I just looked up their department you're not a teacher then Oh, fuck. Never mind. (laughs) Buy my wine. I make it from the best dandelions. You know, just you can't like you can't bullshit people as easily now as you could back then. Back then, 
Like it's almost like people who dress up like uh, military or cops. You know, oh, he had a badge and he had fucking handcuffs. He must have been a cop. You know, the, the like old... back then, if you had a fucking six inch telescope and you lived near a fucking observatory, oh shit, he must he must be a fucking astronomer who works at the observatory. You know, yeah, he he's got his con down. Honestly, I don't know. Even though he 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 dropped out in fourth grade, um, maybe it was a tough fourth grade. We don't know, but he <laughs> <laughs> his craft. Is quite good, uh, his cotton craft here. Now the the thing is, is like, I I don't know. Maybe during this time, if I, I'm I'm assuming most people didn't have a lot of knowledge about, let's say, um, Eastern religions or different philosophies that they had. So maybe he sounded like, oh, he must be a world traveler or some shit. Yeah, going to college back then was not. Um... Didn't really happen as much, obviously, now. This is probably at the time when the most people are going, you know, for higher education. But back then, you were lucky to make it to eighth grade, you know, before your dad kind of pulled you out of school to either work in the mine or work on the farm, pretty much. (laughs) I would assume his family came right through Ellis Island and, you know what I mean? I mean, he came fucking into New York and lived there, so I'm assuming they had to be that type. Well, I mean, I don't know if Ellis Island was still technically open at the time. You're getting kind of late there a little bit, but it's like 18, 1893. You think it's pretty late? 1893. Maybe. No, maybe they were still coming into Ellis um, at that time. I also kind of wonder if maybe him having kind of like a Germanic accent might have thrown some people off because at the time, some of the some of the like the greatest minds in the world were coming out of these German universities. I didn't even this time didn't even uh, didn't even connect the dots to that. That's a that's a very good point, Phil. Yeah, German. So Germany was kind of at the forefront of a lot of different fields when it came to like the, you know, university learning. People were uh, got like fucking psychology, all of the scientific fields, just, you know, there's just a shit ton of it. Right. So, Right, I get didn't never that never even crossed my mind. That's probably a good point, and you know, I clearly his wife's along with him, and he probably I'm gonna say he always says friends, but I'm gonna assume these are people <laughs> that were involved with his religious practices. It's the only people I can imagine would follow him this far into the mountainside or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, people who either give him money or help him get money. Right, pretty much. Right, who legitimize him? Well, uh, the next part of his life here might might scare away a few of them religious people. Um, yeah. It was at this point, now that he's all nestled in, uh, that those pesky aliens are going to start coming to bother George. His first ever experience started on his Palomar Gardens campground. The date was October 9th, 1946. George claimed that it was during a meteor shower he and his friends would all witness a large cigar-shaped mothership. He would describe it as, quote, a large black object similar in shape to a giant dirigible and apparently motionless. Now, a dirigible, uh, very old school word, but it's basically like a blimp, a zeppelin, that type of thing. Something that can be steered around more or less uh, 
which would, I guess if he said large cigar shape, it's pretty close to a large cigar shape, wouldn't you say? Oh, definitely, yeah. And, I mean, back then, kind of, they would have been a bit more common. Yeah, um, like a Zeppelin? I mean, he would have he would have grown up during the time of, like, the Zeppelins, so. I think the, what a lot of people talk about here is his, the date of these claims, uh, 1946, that is technically before the Kenneth Arnold sighting, which we've covered before, more or less the guy who created the term flying saucer, right? Yeah, one of the most famous UFO sightings of all time, just because it was kind of the first huge one, the first one that really blew up. Right. Um, Now, as we'll find out, he might be talking about this many years after it actually happened, because he really he releases some books and such, but we'll <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> well, just just like any good charlatan, he always claims that his was first. So, do you think it would be better if he claimed maybe his was like somewhere second, third, fourth? Maybe maybe not so suspicious. Not so suspicious. Kind of like a when a hipster tells you that they're like they're a firster. They were the first people to, you know, I drank old style before it was cool. One of those things. Well, I can tell them. You that kind of just, you kind of just know they didn't. I can just tell them, Phil, I doubt you drank it before my grandpa did, who has been drinking that shit since fucking, I don't know. He he my, always had old style or paps. Yeah. My dad was an old style uh, drinker through and through. Gross. So. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those deals where you find these people who claim that, you know, Oh no, I'm not just a bandwagoner. I'm not just going off of Kenneth Arnold's coattails. He's actually going off of my coattails. Yeah. So that's what's really going yeah. on here. You know. Damn you, Kenneth Arnold always copying this guy. <laughs> exactly. What are you gonna do? Fucking pop up with some Eastern cults too in California? <laughs> well, he's gonna take another hipster approach here uh with his next claim, Phil. Because right. George claims the next time he saw UFOs came in August of 1947. But this time, <laughs> it wasn't just one, Phil. It was 148 UFOs that passed over the Palomar Mountains area. Have you ever heard of someone see- seeing more UFOs? A goddamn armada. Like fucking Independence Day. Yeah. Jesus Christ. How do, how do you even count all them? Yeah, they must have been in like perfect rows that he could just count them by like sixes or something like that. Yeah, I guess those old like sheep herders and shit could count sheep really fast somehow. Maybe maybe he used that method. I don't know. That's that's a lot of fucking UFOs. Well, the sheep herders didn't have to think about anything else besides how many sheep they had. So yeah, they were pretty good at it. <laughs> but it's just such a such a boisterous number too. Like yeah. oh yeah, I saw. I saw a UFO. Kenneth Arnold saw five UFOs. Well, I saw 184 <laughs> UFOs, you know, just fucking just blasting okay. it out of there. What do you think about that, asshole? Huh? Okay, Phil. Have you seen an armada? <laughs> here's your subliminal deception dare for the week. When you go to the bar and you meet a nice lady, just somehow mention that you've seen 184 UFOs passing over your house and see if she keeps talking or if she runs away. They just... <laughs> With a notepad in my hand, just yeah. gauging her reaction to, yeah. to my claim. Yeah. What's that notepad for? Oh, you'll find out in 10 seconds. <laughs> so one time I was in California. <laughs> 184 UFOs. You wouldn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> Blotted out the fucking sun. Couldn't see shit. 
Have you ever had old style before? Yeah. <laughs> Can I interest you in a <laughs> in a room temperature old style, young lady? All right. Definitely. Now, by 1949, George began claiming that the U.S. military had urged him to attach a camera to his six-inch telescope and start taking pictures as often as he could because clearly Palomar Mountains was a fucking UFO hotspot. George said, quote, Since then, winter and summer, day and night, through heat and cold, wind, rains, and fog, I have spent every moment possible outdoors watching the skies. Now, this picture right here, Phil, this is one of the pictures he claims to have taken um, in 1949, I guess, cigar-shaped. Uh, it's the best way you can describe it. Definitely. Doesn't look like a fucking uh, beaten-up old bullet at all, either. No. Sit in front of the... Uh, the- fucking telescope lens it looks like one of those remember those wax sodas and you pop it off and you drink out yes. of it on its side oh definitely yeah that's yeah. exactly actually what it looks like <laughs> looks a lot more like that yeah but he claims this is a ufo the u.s government said look motherfucker you need to be taking pictures of this we're not gonna do it <laughs> george you need to be taking pictures with your six inch telescope sir it's funny we all know that if any, if the U.S. government had any inkling that this guy had actually seen UFOs, they would have stolen his land and fucking put him out. You know, just because of all, you know, it's 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 the whole boisterous thing. Yeah. Like, oh no! Even the government they <laughs> they came to me on their hands and knees, begged me, please, philosopher, <laughs> please, professor, please take pictures using your gigantic six. It, Six inch telescope. Yeah. They would steal your land and fucking put a 20 foot fucking telescope up if they felt like it. Yeah. You know? Please use your Magnum Dong version of a six inch <laughs> telescope to take pictures of UFOs. Nobody else can do it but you, sir. <laughs> it's almost like they only want you to see them. That's crazy. Now, it must be because you're special. Now, this next picture here um, is supposed to be. A UFO with six crafts or like six crafts in order or something. This was also taken in 1949. Um, This picture got so much attention, apparently. In 1978, the country of Grenada used the photo's likeness for some of their commemorative stamps. Now, I'm not sure which one is supposed to be here, but it's one of these stamps, which is kind of cool. I can't lie. That is kind of cool, but... uh, I mean, the U.S. will never do U.S. stamp or UFO stamps. I guarantee it. Yeah, I wonder. I bet it's probably the the fifth one, the the first one on the five cent stamp down at the bottom. I bet it's because that kind of looks like an airship a little bit. Actually, you know what? I know which one it is now. It is the bottom right one. Um, oh, really? Sorry, I got them mixed up. That one is a picture that of a. The most famous picture of a UFO he's taken, which is kind of at the very bottom of this episode, but um, yes. Okay. Do you notice right next to it? Do you see what that one is? We've well, covered that. The, that's the one from Germany, right? Yeah, from like the whatever 1500s or whatever. I think. Yes. I the the air battle over the German city. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize that till now. That was a picture of that. That's pretty fucking cool. Yep. All the balls flying around in the sky. Okay, do you, 
this picture here, what do you think that is? Do you think that's like a mothership and five ships around it, six ships around it? I have no idea, but I would imagine it's <laughs> three or four inches in front of that telescope lens. <laughs> you think they got that close to George, huh? No, I think he placed, yeah, the UFOs flew three inches in front of his telescope. (laughs) No, I think he placed something in front of his telescope, but definitely. Uh, Yeah, I don't, I I just, anyone who, any UFO, anyone who claims to have seen a UFO, who also claims to be like super religious for some weird religions or, you know, tries to gather a cult. I just, it's so hard to believe them, you know. (laughs) Even if I was standing right next to them when they saw a UFO, I almost wouldn't believe it because I was with them. Like, it must be some kind of trick. They must be trying to get money out of it. Yeah, this, as we're going to, we'll find out here, Phil. It is, he's, he's not real believable. Okay, let's just, I'll just say it right now. But the thing yeah. is, I thought about this, is this is pretty obviously not the most believable guy, but also all the other episodes we've, covered i think you've always given him about a one percent chance anyway so fuck it you know yeah i never give anybody a chance (laughs) but honestly though if the ufos if they really are like coming to visit us this is the exact kind of person that they would want to see the craft because once he puts out his little rants about you know about seeing these ufos no one's gonna you know all of a sudden it just loses the legitimacy right so right they only let the crazy people see (laughs) And he's probably a little bit crazy himself. But um, continuing on here. Now, according to George, by the end of 1952, he had taken over 500 pictures of UFOs from his little observatory with his camera, of which about a dozen of them he would consider to be quality pictures. Um, He would then submit his pictures to all sorts of newspapers and magazines who were more than willing to publish them for him. Uh, he would also start giving lectures about UFOs, talking all about his experiences he had had simply by living near Mount Palomar, um, all while convincing everybody at these lectures <laughs> that he was a astronomy professor. They all believed yep. him, not just the people at his little campground. Now this is like people in lecture halls. Oh, definitely. I mean, this kind of thing still happens to this day. Uh, basically kind of reminds me of the flat earth that we talked about who really had almost, you know, no legitimate good proof, nothing like that, but they were able to sell out lecture hall. Uh, Just, you know, going, speaking, everyone believes that they are like legitimate, a real person like in this field. Really, they're just kind of up there talking up there for the attention and the money. Do you think people in 1950s, a little more gullible? I actually think they might've been a little bit less gullible than people today just because they weren't being bombarded by lies quite as bad as we were or as we are so like social media you know 24-hour news we get a lot of bullshit thrown our way back then they really didn't have like a ton of bullshit they might see a charlatan come to their town like every once in a while so maybe they just didn't have the opportunity to be fucked over like we do now but i I really think that they were probably more immune to it. Or maybe it's just because they were, you know, they saw it so little. Maybe when it did come around, fucked with them more. You know, a lot of these people went to church every week. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I mean. (laughs) Different type of gullible me. Different type of gullible. Yeah, that's 
that's more that's more institutional gullible. Okay. That's like something from you were a little kid. They kind of pulled you into that stuff. Also, you got to remember back then, too, especially in small towns, churches was kind of your only form of entertainment, your only form of like social gathering. You might spend six and a half days out on the farm, but on Sunday, you're riding into town, you know, going to see everyone at church, maybe going to eat lunch at the local cafe or something afterwards. Very so, true. Very. That is yeah. a good point, Phil. That is a good point. You and I probably would have attended church in 1952, probably. Oh, living as far out of town as we did? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> now, while all of this sounds great for him, you, you're like, George... You can't do any better. You got 500 fucking photographs of UFOs. The military's telling you you need to take pictures. You know, he's on the top of the world giving lectures. People think he's a professor. Things cannot get any better for this man. But the next event, the next story we're going to tell you is kind of like the culmination of all we've discussed here today. The story begins sometime in November of 1952. George and several of his friends headed into a town by the name of Desert Center, California, and that is true. Um, not the most inviting town name. What do you think? Oh, Have you ever heard of not. it? Yeah, it definitely sounds like a place where it's just a bunch of feral children running <laughs> around and, you know, <laughs> it's dry. There's no water. You see a bunch of sick dogs. American Chernobyl right here. Definitely. Yeah. Hills have eyes shit. <laughs> yeah. Now, while George and his friends started venturing out into the Colorado desert, uh, they would all lay eyes upon a large submarine-shaped object flying in the skies above them. Now, apparently, George went on to inform those accompanying him that this craft clearly was looking for him, not you guys. So George started walking away from his friends and headed deeper into the desert towards the flying object. Once George was a good distance from his friends, the ship descended nearby him. George claimed it looked like the craft was made out of a translucent metal. Not sure what that means. But after it landed, a door opened and a pilot walked out of the ship and headed directly towards George. The alien informed George that he was from the planet Venus and his name was Orthon or Ortheon. One of the two. Weird name. Um, yeah. Little bit of an ego on George here. Uh, what do you think translucent metal? Do you think it's just like see-through metal? I have no idea. In my mind, translucent metal sounds just kind of like the plastics that we have now. Yeah. Like plexiglass. That's right. exactly what I think when I hear translucent metal is like plexiglass. Something like that. Like glass, but you can barely see through it. Like some light comes through, but not a lot. Um, I will say we did talk about before how he wants people to think that he's special. So obviously this UFO has come to see me Yeah, and the UFO lands down on the ground and comes visits him. It's a, you know, your standard alien guy with a weird name. Of course they're from Venus because in the movies, all of the aliens were either from Venus or Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How do you think you say that guy's name? Orthon? Orthon. Yeah, Orthon Orthon sounds good. Orthon. I mean, it's honestly, it's probably like a very common Polish name. Uh, (laughs) You know, George doesn't sound like he's that creative, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. This guy, I guess, as we'll find out, they really, really wanted to talk to George. Um, Orthon, 
in appearance-wise, he did look somewhat human. George claimed he was a medium height with long blonde hair, and his skin was uh, a shade similar to that of Hulk Hogan. But okay. un- but unlike Hulk Hogan, his skin was as soft as a baby's. George said, quote, The beauty of his form surpassed anything I had ever seen, and the pleasantness of his face freed me of all thought of my personal self. I felt like a little child in the presence of one with great wisdom and much love. It became apparent to George that the Venusian, he couldn't speak English, so he started to speak to George telepathically. Does George want to fuck this guy? Oh, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) it doesn't sound like he's in it for the strange. But definitely I did like the uh, the reference to Hulk Hogan, like a shade similar to yeah. Hulk Hogan. Everybody Hulk Hogan knows that. permanently had you you instantly know exactly what shade it is. It's permanently like third degree sunburn, pretty much. <laughs> like the darkest tan that a white person could possibly get is pretty much Hulk Hogan, his skin tone. Honestly, but yeah. If you go to Florida, this is this is the color of skin most of the like people the tan color i've seen the most of people who just sit on the beach all day oh yeah those 35 year old women who look like they're in their mid 70s yeah their skin's basically like almost wrinkled off them (laughs) pretty much yeah 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 it's uh (laughs) i don't know george is just very like the way he describes him kind of like very slightly sexual um he he you know is just describing how pleasant his face is how his skin looks his long beautiful blonde hair I don't know. George just, I think he's got something out for this guy. Well, he is a showman too. True. With his description, he has to add layers. You know, it's not just, what did you see? I saw an alien. What did they look like? They looked like an alien. You know, he he knows that he's going to have to give up a little bit more. He's going to have to paint you a picture. It's it's funny because when I hear the description of this guy, all I can think of is like, Hulk Hogan comes on this ship and he's like, are you ready for WrestleMania 3, brother? (laughs) Just, it's yeah. pasta mania brother yeah. he just fucking gives him the atomic elbow or some shit i don't know <laughs> it's the leg drop the leg Hulk drop Hogan did the leg drop who has the atomic elbow oh that was uh uh dusty dusty roads you know what phil i have peacock because it comes free with my internet service uh i almost started watching some of the old wwe stuff but I was like, sometimes you just got, gotta let laying dog or whatever the saying is. Just Sleeping gotta, dogs lie. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you are quite the wordsmith. Cody. I am. You know I am. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah, I actually. So every once in a while, I'll throw some of the old stuff in back from like the uh, well, the Attitude area and the uh, like the eighties, the late eighties, like the two times when it was really good. I, so, I really pretty just, fun to watch. I really just wanted to watch like. Some of the like attitude or attitude era like pay per views. I'm sure they're on there, but the catalog's not organized that well. Yeah. So with well, we're getting way off topic here. So when um, WWE Network actually went away and Peacock kind of like took it over. So Peacock is set up to be like seasons and like WrestleMania and all of those shows don't do seasons; they do years. So it's kind of hard to find them sometimes. Maybe I'll have to just indulge myself and uh, just just watch one of them one day but yeah, yeah. you just gotta kind of fish around the episodes to figure out what you're looking for but 
Yeah, enough of that stuff. I mean, we're kind of making fun of this, the description. I was actually going to say it does kind of sound. I mean, he's kind of just talking about this. It's a it's the alien that you would think of when you see an alien movie from ni- the 1950s. And it's not like a spaghetti monster. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a mostly human looking alien. But right. there are actually a species supposedly of human looking aliens, kind of the Nordic the Nordic aliens Guess what, are thought Phil? to be kind of like this. Guess what, Phil? That's what he calls this guy. Fucking seriously. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, he, nailed he, it fucking, on that. he didn't come up with the name Nordic, did he? No, no. I, oh, okay. I highly doubt it. Dude, I'd shit my pants and fucking take <laughs> back all my work. Now, once Orthon had established a line of communication with George, um, he informed him that Orthon had came to Earth to deliver a very important message for all of humanity and was going to use George as the vessel. Humans needed to stop messing around with atomic bombs or the world would be destroyed via nuclear bombs. According to George, while Orthon didn't know how to speak speak human languages, he did learn one phrase in English to enforce just how important his message was to George. Orthon said, Boom, boom. You're going <laughs> to fuck the most ridiculous fucking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> okay, you're telling me this Hulk Hogan looking fucking alien comes to you and says, boom, boom. You're not going to take him serious. He goes, boom, boom, and then shakes his head. No, anger. The world needs to know no more. News. I was, That's it. Is that- That's it, guys. It's over. <laughs> yeah, Russia just immediately disarmed all their nuclear bombs. Right when they said boom, boom. And thank God they came to George rather than anyone in government or anyone with any kind of power. They came to George. Don't worry, guys. George (laughs) has got it. He's given a speaking tour. (laughs) Everyone's going to listen to him now. George, George, what what did Orthon tell you? He said, boom, boom. Oh, my God, George. Oh, oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Now, naturally, George asked. Orthon, if he could take a picture of him to prove to the rest of hu- the, you know, for proof for the rest of humanity. But Orthon was a little camera shy and he said, George, I'm not doing that. But he did tell George to give him a blank photographic plate. When that plate was eventually developed on December 13th, 1952, it allegedly had a bunch of strange symbols all over the photo, all over the photo, which George said, he thinks it was like a secret message of some sort. Now, while Orthon didn't let George take a picture of him directly, he did allow him to take a picture of his Venusian ship, which is pictured here. Now, this is the picture of the UFO that is used in the stamp. This is his one of his most famous pictures right here. Yeah, this is the iconic flying saucer. Yeah. You going to debunk that? Can you debunk that right now? It looks like a fucking hubcap, but <laughs> people think yeah. it's one of those things you put in a uh, for chicks, Us. like those the lamps you put over chicks when you're raising chickens. Oh, like a heat lamp. Yeah, like a heat lamp. That's what they think. Okay, kind of. I actually think maybe a sink stopper. A sig stopper. Sink. A sink. Like you oh. put it in the bottom of your sink to stop the water. Kind of looks like one of those. It could be it. So you think it's anything but a Venusian spaceship? Yes, okay. exactly. Okay, so 
We're not buying it, George. No, sorry. <laughs> After George uh, had made contact with Orthon, he would go to he'd go public with his encounters, which led to him teaming up with a man by the name of Desmond Leslie, who ironically made a UFO movie called Them in the Thing. Interesting title, sir. Uh, I bet he won an Oscar for that one. <laughs> Honestly, it almost sounds like it could work for a porn title, but I guess for a 1950s UFO movie, it works for that, too. Uh, Definitely. They record it in an afternoon. Yeah. Them in the thing. <laughs> uh, once he, once Desmond and George teamed up, they would write a book together called Flying Saucers Have Landed, which would eventually, I you know, no shit, become a be- best-selling book. Uh, this book basically talked about Orthon and other Venusian Nordic aliens and how they had came to Earth to warn us all about atomic bombs and how they didn't worship God. They worship something they referred to as, quote, creator of all, which I guess is somehow different than what God is in the Bible and shit. Yeah, it's like God's shift supervisor, pretty much. (laughs) It's not God. That's creator of all. Don't get it fucking twisted. We have yeah. a we have oh. a pyramid of authority here in God's kingdom and don't get it mixed up. God wears a smock and pushes around a mop <laughs> and the creator of all wears a clip on tie. Come on, everyone knows. <laughs> yeah. A little little red vest too <laughs> with his name tag on it. Assistant manager. So would you read this book, Phil? Uh possibly. I mean, back then, who knows? I'm trying to think. This was you said during early 1950s yeah well yeah yeah probably 19 i think 53 54 um kenneth arnold was six years earlier yep so aliens were pretty fucking hot yeah at this point right now so i wouldn't it's just like kind of doing very well with a true crime podcast very true the amount of people who want to kind of follow it kind of makes you more successful so True. if you would have had that book 20 years earlier or 20 years later, I wonder how well it would have done. But I mean, who knows? Maybe his friend was a really good writer. So and, you know, he's a good at, like a bullshit artist. So I mean, well, maybe they came up with something pretty well. As we know, as I have read this book and the book I'm about to talk about that he published a year or two later, um, sold 200,000 copies. So that's not bad for 1950 oh, no. something. No, no, that's not bad. It's respectable yeah. for sure. Um, yep. In 1955, George published the other book I alluded to. This title was Inside the Spaceships, <laughs> where George <coughs> where George would go on to claim that Orthon had taken him on a tour of the solar system, which included, you know, naturally Venus, his home planet. Additionally, yep. Orthon took George to where George's late wife was said to have been reincarnated at. That's, I don't know, George, if you should have put that in the book because she'd only been dead a year, but I guess there's that. Uh, In that same book, George would eventually come to meet a thousand-year-old elder philosopher of space people. This (laughs) This elder basically informed George he was to be Earth's messenger for the Nordics, uh, similar to what Jesus Christ had done to them many or many, you know, a thousand years prior. Um, so he was putting himself in yeah. the same sphere as Jesus. 
him and Jesus hand in hand, yeah. pretty much the same guy, actually. Yeah. Wing, wing. Yeah. <laughs> Give me your money, folks. <laughs> How do I'm you surprised. Like- <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't say that the elder philosopher just kind of sat down Indian style in front of him and just said, teach me, yeah. you know, all teach me. You know, I just love the elder philosopher of space people, elder philosopher of the official name space people. Yeah, it's what they like to be called. I'm, I'm good with them, so I can call them space people. You have to call them Venetian Nordics, but space. people. I can't wait till sub D becomes like a mega corporation and we can just give ourselves and our employees these interesting titles like Phil. Honestly, if you had a badge that said Phil elder philosopher of space people like honestly people would buy it oh i wouldn't uh i wouldn't call my if i had a if i was in charge of a company which i feel bad for that shareholder <laughs> meeting because that's it's just gonna be not good but i mean calling yourself elder philosopher of the space people <laughs> then you have to call all of your little minions right space people that would be great too yeah the middle management could be called nordics yeah maybe. there you go <laughs> Now, Jord Adamski uh, had a few other notable events following his UFO experiences, the pictures and all the books. Uh, he claimed to receive something that would be known as, quote, R.E. Straith letter, which was said to have been sent to George from a representative of Cultural Exchange Committee within the U.S. State Department, basically stating that the government was acknowledging George's contact that he had had with um, Orthon, basically saying, we know you talked to him and all this shit. Uh, He kept taking this to his lectures and all this. Eventually, the FBI told him he had to stop claiming this because it was illegal to make false claims about government documents. Yeah, he's kind of going into a little bit of a gray area. Yeah. I mean, it was all kind of just fun before, you know, talking about the space people and getting people to buy his books. But once you start making claims like this, that the State Department was acknowledging the fact that you had meetings with an extraterrestrial and going on to imply that it's because you're a special person and we're deeming you special people, you know. Apparently, even though he got talked to about this, right, he still kept doing it until... But every time the FBI or whatever would approach him, be like, no, I've never said that. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say it exactly like that. Yeah. No. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> he used a lot of allegedly's and supposedly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Accor- according to some, according to some, the U.S. government actually uh, had their cultural exchange committee give me an award. Yeah. Well, well, you can't just say we gave you an award. No, no. I said according to some. Okay. <laughs> Not me, according to others, according to some. Uh, In May of 1959, Queen Juliana of the Netherlands, who was the head of the Dutch Unidentified Flying Object Society, would actually (laughs) invite George to have an audience (laughs) with her. But I think people warned her that he he might not be that trustworthy. And uh, (laughs) the, the whole thing never went through. Hold on, hold on. We can't we can't just glaze over this. Are you telling me Queen Juliana of the Netherlands, a country in Europe? I don't know if she's maybe a, a puppet or, you know, the real like constitutional monarchy something like that. She had enough time on her hands 
to be also be the head of the Dutch Unified Flying Object Society. You bet your ass. <laughs> that fucking bitch needs a hobby. Holy shit. It must be nice to have that much free time on your hands. Hey, Obama's was doing this the whole time. He just did it in secret, Phil. She's out in the open about it. Well, he's also a reptilian fucking time travel. So he's kind of got the edge <laughs> on his side. But well, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, I imagine like you were saying, I imagine some probably might have told this guy might not be completely on the level yeah also what the fuck are you doing <laughs> inviting people you know the I, flying object people i should have checked but she might have been <laughs> just like um i guess whatever fucking queen elizabeth is at this point more just like a face instead of like a leader you know what i mean yeah but at least queen elizabeth has like stuff that she does you know? allegedly supposedly Supposedly, she probably just bathes in fucking, uh, you know, her subject's fucking blood or whatnot. (laughs) Allegedly, you know, to keep young. Just imagine with the opening to DuckTales where he's diving in gold coins, except for that's Queen Elizabeth and it's a pool of virgin's blood. Same, same thing. Half milk, half whole milk, half virgin's blood. (laughs) Keeps me young. She's actually 600 years old. Uh, In 1962... George claimed that he was going to attend an interplanetary conference on the planet Saturn. Okay, that sounds like a fun Saturday, huh? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> you can totally walk on the on the surface of Saturn too. There's just buildings everywhere. You're not going to sink to the fucking core and be crushed at all. I actually think this next one might be your favorite film. Okay. In 1963, George would claim that Pope John uh Pope John the 23rd had granted him a secret audience and he was going to receive a golden medal of honor from the Pope, which he would later display to all of his friends. But upon closer look, uh, you could tell that it was just some coin that could be bought from any of the many tourist shops found around Rome. (laughs) Upon closer look, it was golden foil wrapped around German chocolate. (laughs) Yeah. That's all it was. Those (laughs) shitty fucking chocolate coins. Those are gross. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I. you know what? I should say this. The Queen Juliana, maybe that's not true. But it sounded like that was true and the other things were fake. That's what it sounded like. Or I shouldn't say are fake. I should say could possibly, allegedly, supposedly, maybe be fake. Yeah, it's... I mean, also, it's becoming... I don't know. I. The thing about the Golden Medal of Honor, that's something that maybe could happen. The going to Saturn for an interplanetary conference. It does seem like he's kind of like going on and off the rails. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, he's still saying crazy stuff, but it's not as bad as like 1959. He says something a little bit crazy. 1963, something kind of even more crazy. But then in between there, 1962, he says the craziest thing. Like he completely went off the rails at some point in from like 61 to 62. Uh, I think he was just trying to keep maybe his popularity going. That would be my guess. Can't say for certain. Uh, We'll finish this out here. On April 23rd, 1965, George Adamski died of a heart attack at his friend's home in Silver Spring, Maryland. George was still giving UFO conferences. He died one month after giving a fucking UFO conference. So he was dedicated to his craft. We'll give him that. Uh, I guess the real question for you, Phil, and maybe this is not a hard question for you to answer. 
Was he a con man, a liar, or did the UFO stuff happen to him and all the other stuff? Well, I was actually joking the entire time during the episode. I 100% believe him. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, every single photo he took was of a UFO. Just an be. armada. Just coming, just because he's so special, just coming to see him. No, obviously, I don't believe uh, a single goddamn word of it. No. What do you think? No, I don't believe him at all, but he's probably one of the funnest UFO people I've ever heard or that we've ever covered in this show. Oh, definitely. I mean, great uh, of the charlatans who really like latch on to the whole like UFO notion. Not a lot of them are known. Um, You really do see like a lot of those old interviews from the 1950s and 60s. A lot of those supposed or alleged abductees kind of giving their stories. A lot of them are cut from the same yoke kind of as this guy, but a lot of them don't sell 200 copies of their book, give tours around the country, that sort of thing. No, no. Uh, You know what's interesting about him that I saw? A lot of his UFO pictures are really hard to find, and there's websites that contain them, and it's like people selling art prints of his alleged pictures of UFOs, which is kind of cool, but... It's just funny that that is now where he is at in life. Like people are selling his pictures online for artwork that people hang in their house. Yeah, I wonder if it's actually become like public domain to use those images if they're so old. You know what I mean? Or if maybe someone in his family still owns it, possibly. It could be. Uh, I know he, he, you know, we didn't, I didn't really mention it, but, you know, he submitted these pictures to, um, when Stanton Friedman started, you know, after Project Blue Book, he was trying to, or maybe it was during Project Blue Book, one of the two. When Stanton Friedman, we all know him, famous UFO guy. Was uh, he the one who started MUFON? I believe so, yeah. When yeah. He, he wanted to, like, come out in the open with all this shit because he was working with Project Blue Book. This guy submitted pictures, and <laughs> unsurprisingly, he basically told him it's all bullshit. Yeah. You know, because... Stanton Freeman is probably one of the most trustworthy UFO guys around, if we're being honest. Yeah, it's, well, the funny thing is a lot of people think that those, the UFO investigator type people, that they're just going to accept any, you hand them a picture, say it's a UFO, they're going to say, oh yeah, it's a UFO. Like they're actually, some of those MUFON UFO investigators, I realize it's not as big back then as it is now. A lot of them will actually do the like due diligence and actually look for like what could this be? Could this be something else? Is this a fake picture? That kind of stuff. Yeah, debunk. So try to debunk it. Exactly. Yeah. So it is good that, you know, Stan Friedman kind of didn't just take it, take him at his word. You know, look at the pictures and be like, oh, definitely that's a fucking that's a flying saucer right there. Right. Right. So uh I, I don't know. What do you what do you think overall of George? You like his story? You like his uh, he had an interesting life, right? He did have an interesting life. He's a fun character. Yeah, um, obviously highly flawed because of how much he, you know, sought out fame or just kind of sought out people respecting him is kind of what it seemed like. He always wanted to be con- called a philosopher or, you know, a professor, that kind of stuff. So it's kind of sad a little bit. And then towards the end of his life, maybe after his wife died, he might have went off the rocker a little bit. Maybe the maybe his wife was kind of his center because after that, he starts to spiral 
and really starts to claim, you know, yeah. some weird shit. Like, but how 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 centered could his wife have been if she was allowing him to, you know, gain all this notoriety for true. like leading cults and, you know, claiming that he was a professor and showing, you know, people all these pictures of UFOs that he had taken. So who knows? It it's hard to say. I don't when I heard the thing where it was like the guy took him to where his wife was supposed to reincarnate. I'm like, it just kind of sounds like a weird cry for help a little bit. Maybe I'm yeah. wrong. He was really, yeah, kind of almost like that was the whole center of his world with his wife's death. And now yeah. like it's just every little fake story he makes, it creeps into it, you know? Right. Well, you know what, George, we can't necessarily hate on you. I mean, you just saw the UFO wave in America and you just, you Mounted your surfboard and he just rode down it. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> That's what else I could say for you, George. Uh, if anybody has their opinions on uh, George Adamski or any other UFO thing, where can they contact us, Phil? Well, if you want to tell us that we're full of shit about uh, not believing this, you can hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. We've actually gotten quite a few messages in the past week. Um, you know, usually we only get about that many messages in a month, and we've talked to about uh, four or five people just in the past weekend. So it's been great. You know, been it's great to talk to everybody. Um, Instagram, just as many. You know, really having a good time on Instagram. Uh, Cody and I really enjoy it. We also have our own Instagrams. Mine is sdpodphil. Cody, you have one. Yeah, you can follow me at Cody's above. Um, I'm not on it as much as I used to be, but I will look at the messages eventually. The last thing we need you guys to do is log in iTunes, leave a show a five-star review. It doesn't matter what you say, uh, just preferably five stars and write whatever the fuck you want in there. Uh, if you're a Spotify user, it's even simpler. You can just click the five stars, hit submit. You don't have to type a goddamn thing. Thank you to everybody who's taking the time to do that for us. Uh, otherwise, I hope you guys all enjoyed a little, little wackier episode. Little, little having a little fun this week. We'll see you guys next. Thanks, guys. <laughs>